Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about meningitis. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com or in the infectious diseases section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Meningitis refers to inflammation of the meninges, usually due to infection. The meninges are the lining of the brain and the spinal cord. Cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF, is contained within the meninges, in the subarachnoid space. Let's start with bacterial meningitis. The causes of bacterial meningitis include Neisseria meningitidis, Streptococcus pneumoniae, or pneumococcus, Haemophilus influenzae, Group B streptococcus, or GBS, particularly in neonates, as GBS may colonize the vagina, and Listeria monocytogenes, which also affects neonates. Neisseria meningitidis is a gram-negative diplococcus bacteria. They're circular bacteria, or cocci, that occur in pairs, which is what diplo refers to. It's commonly known as meningococcus, and it's the most common cause of bacterial meningitis. Meningococcal meningitis is when the bacteria infects the meninges and the cerebrospinal fluid. Meningococcal septicemia is when the meningococcus bacterial infection is in the bloodstream. Meningococcal septicemia can cause the classic non-blanching rash. Next let's talk about viral meningitis. The most common causes of viral meningitis are enteroviruses, for example Coxsackie virus, herpes simplex virus or HSV, and varicella zoster virus or VZV. Viral PCR testing can be performed on the CSF or cerebrospinal fluid sample. Acyclovir is used to treat herpes simplex virus and varicella zoster virus. Next let's talk about the presentation. The typical symptoms of meningitis are fever, neck stiffness, vomiting, headache, photophobia, altered consciousness and seizures. Where there is meningococcal septicemia, children can present with a non-blanching rash. Other causes of bacterial meningitis do not usually cause the non-blanching rash. Neonates and babies can present with non-specific signs and symptoms, such as hypotonia or reduced tone, poor feeding, lethargy, hypothermia or reduced temperature, and a bulging fontanelle on the top of the head. The NICE guidelines on sepsis recommend a lumbar puncture as part of the investigations for children with suspected sepsis who are under one month presenting with a fever or one to three months and are unwell or have a high or low white blood cell count on the blood test. There are two special tests that you can perform to look for meningeal irritation in meningitis. Koenig's test and Brudzinski's test. Koenig's test involves lying the patient flat on their back, flexing one hip and knee to 90 degrees, and then slowly straightening the knee whilst keeping the hip flexed at 90 degrees. This creates a slight stretch in the meninges. 
Where there is meningitis, it will produce spinal pain or resistance to movement. Brudzinski's test involves lying the patient flat on their back and gently using your hands to lift their head and neck off the bed, flexing their chin to their chest. A positive test indicating meningitis is when this causes the patient to flex their hips and knees involuntarily. Next let's talk about lumbar punctures. A lumbar puncture involves inserting a needle into the lower back to collect a sample of cerebrospinal fluid or CSF. The spinal cord ends at the L1-L2 vertebral level. The needle is usually inserted into the L3-L4 or L4-L5 intervertebral spaces. Samples are sent for bacterial culture, viral PCR, cell count, protein and glucose. A blood glucose sample is sent at the same time for comparison to the CSF sample. The samples are sent immediately. The appearance of the cerebral spinal fluid will be cloudy with bacterial meningitis and clear with viral meningitis. The protein content will be high with bacterial meningitis and mildly raised or normal with viral meningitis. The glucose level will be low with bacterial meningitis and normal with viral meningitis. The white cell count will be high with bacterial meningitis, particularly neutrophils, and high with viral meningitis, particularly lymphocytes. And the culture will be positive for bacteria in bacterial meningitis and negative in viral meningitis. A tom tip for you, lumbar puncture interpretation is a common exam question. Think about what will happen with bacteria or viruses living in the cerebral spinal fluid rather than just rote learning the results. Bacteria swimming in the CSF will release proteins and use up glucose. Viruses may release a small amount of protein but do not use up glucose. The immune system will release more neutrophils with bacteria and lymphocytes with viruses. Next let's talk about the management of bacterial meningitis. Bacterial meningitis is a medical emergency and should be treated immediately. Children seen in primary care or in the community setting with suspected meningitis and a non-blanching rash should receive an urgent dose of benzyl penicillin, intramuscular or intravenous, whilst awaiting transfer to hospital, although it should not delay the transfer to hospital. Where there's a true penicillin allergy, transfer is the priority rather than giving other antibiotics. The doses of benzyl penicillin are 300 mg for under 1 years of age, 600 mg for 1 to 9 years of age and 1200 mg when they're over 10 years of age. Ideally, blood cultures and a lumbar puncture should be performed before starting antibiotics as the antibiotics may affect the culture results. However, antibiotics should not be delayed if the patient is acutely unwell. Blood tests should include a meningococcal PCR test if meningococcus is suspected. A meningococcal PCR test looks for meningococcal DNA. 
It can give a result faster than blood cultures, depending on local services, and will still be positive after the bacteria has been treated with antibiotics. There should be a low threshold for treating suspected meningitis, particularly in babies and young children. Always follow the local guidelines. However, typical antibiotics are for under 3 months of age, cefotaxime plus amoxicillin and the amoxicillin is to cover listeria. Above 3 months is keftriaxone. Acyclovir is added if viral meningitis is suspected, mainly to cover herpes simplex virus. Vancomycin should be added if there's a risk of penicillin-resistant pneumococcal infection, for example recent foreign travel or prolonged antibiotic exposure. Steroids, for example dexamethasone, are also used in bacterial meningitis to reduce the frequency and severity of hearing loss and neurological complications. Bacterial meningitis and meningococcal infection are notifiable diseases to the UK Health Security Agency. Next let's talk about post-exposure prophylaxis. Significant exposure to meningococcal infection puts contacts at risk. This risk is highest with close prolonged contact within seven days before the onset of the illness. The risk to contacts decreases seven days after the diagnosis. Post-exposure prophylaxis is guided by the local health protection team when they are notified of the diagnosis. The usual choice is a single dose of ciprofloxacin given as soon as possible after the diagnosis. Finally, let's talk about the complications. The key complications are hearing loss, which is probably the most important one to remember for your exams, seizures and epilepsy, cognitive impairment and learning disability, memory loss, and focal neurological deficits, such as limb weakness or spasticity. So thanks for listening to this episode on meningitis. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast, and I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about tuberculosis.